Hello and welcome back to The Sharpest Tool, where we take the sting out of marketing with everything we bring to the table. Today's guest is speaker, author, success mentor, and business consultant, Kelly Scholes. He's been working in the home services business since he was 16 years old, which is pretty awesome. He's been through nearly every stage, employee, co-owner, owner, and even sold a company. He was a coach with the Blue Collar Success Group and recently started consulting on his own. And he's currently finishing up his first book. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Josh. I appreciate it. Absolutely. How do you, how do you typically introduce yourself? I'm Kelly Scholes. I'm a financial uh, coach and... Um, author, and speaker. Do you have a title for the book yet? Is it I still, do. Yeah? What, I do. do. Can you tell us or is that like totally no, taboo? No, I can tell you. It's never by the book. Never by the book. Yep. I love that. Doesn't mean I don't want people to buy it. <laughs> it just means I didn't do everything by the book. I love that. I know you have a really interesting story yep. and you've been through a lot in your life. So um, if you don't mind, can you take a few minutes and let's provide some context for the audience. We don't, we don't need every detail, but sure. give us the kind of thousand foot view at your journey. Um, you know, so our home service listeners uh, know where you're coming from. Sure. Uh, I started in the business when I was 16 years old. I was dating a gal and her dad owned a plumbing business. So I was working on a dairy farm. Needless to say, I did not like cows very much. <laughs> so he asked me to come to work for him. Uh, the first month I worked there, and I was, I was one of those arrogant, cocky little kids who, you know, at 16 years old, I thought I had it all figured out. So I went to work for him. Well, he had a business partner named Steve. And the first month I worked there, I got in a wreck and I totaled the car. Oh. Needless to say, Steve didn't like me very well. So they gave me a job that was probably one of the worst jobs you could imagine. A sewer line had broke underneath a local hospital and had been dumping sewer underneath it for a year. Oh, man. So they gave me a hazmat suit and 50-pound bags of lime and said, go to it, kid. <laughs> so for a week, I went underneath this hospital and spreaded lime to kill the sewer. And uh, after that, Steve kind of took a liking to me. So I uh, continued to work for that company till I was 21. And Steve had sold out, went to another company. And then I was talking to him about six months after that. And he said, get out of there, kid. That's a, that company is a sinking ship. Mm. So I left. I moved to Southern California. Uh, when I was down there, I, I did a little bit of everything. I wanted to get away from plumbing. So I sold cars. I sold perfume door to door. I mean, I did whatever I could. At the time, I did that to support my drinking habit. Mm. Um, after living down there for a year, Steve started calling me. And he called me every month for two years and said, come back up here and help me. I, I, was, I was north of Seattle, up in Washington State. So after two years, I finally flew up there, saw what was going on, talked to him, and uh, flew back to California and called him up and said, no, nope, I'm not coming. Well, to that point, he'd never made me an offer. He'd said, come up here, kid. And he still calls me kid to this day. <laughs> he said, come up here, kid. I'll take care of you. So finally, in... Uh, November of 89, called me back and he said, all right, kid, here's your offer. He said, I'll give you 5% of the company walking in. You can buy up to 49%. Once I retire, you can buy me out. He said, this is the last phone call I'm making. Choose wisely. So I thought about it for a little bit. And I thought, you know what? My life isn't going anywhere. So I called him back and I said, I'll be there. So in January of 1990, I left Southern California I was dead broke, I was a full-blown alcoholic, and I had no direction. I moved back to Washington, 
started working for him, became partners. 2002, I bought him out, brought in two other partners. Company went through a lot of different transitions from 2002. And actually last year in 2018, I sold to my uh, minority partners at that time. Wow. I could tell it's uh, it's definitely an emotional thing yeah. for you. Um, what, what, what was it about that offer, about that relationship that was a turning point for you? You know, at that point in time, I, I didn't believe in myself. You know, like I said, I was yeah. a full-blown alcoholic. I was yeah. dead broke. I had no direction. Um, I was a mess. But he believed in me. And he became a, a big mentor in my life and, and still is a great friend today. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny because I, I met with him about six months ago and we were talking and, you know, I just sold the company to my partners, which one of my minority partners was his son. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of full, full circle there. And we were talking and he asked me, he says, you know, kid, he says, what'd you ever do that job for? <laughs> I go, because, well, first of all, I knew you guys didn't want me to. I go, but I took a different approach to it. When you guys gave me that job, it was a challenge. Instead of saying, no, I'm not going to crawl underneath there and all that crap, it was a challenge to me. Plus, I was getting paid and I got a workout. <laughs> so, you know, I just took a complete different approach to it. And, you know, I think back now and, you know, if I wouldn't have done that job, where would my life be? Yeah, yeah. Did, were, were those kind of values of looking like, being challenged and not turning down a challenge, was that something that was instilled in you growing up? Or um, what about that job? Did you feel the need to accomplish it and see it through? Well, you know, I go back to being raised on a farm and my mom was very, very strict. I'm the youngest of three boys. Mm. And my mom always said, can't never did anything. And that is instilled in me. I love that. And I, I told my daughters that. I got two daughters, 25 and 22. And it's amazing what those girls can do. Yeah. I mean, my youngest daughter just bought a house in Nashville. And she called me one day and she was changing out light fixtures and putting in a fan. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so just making sure that, again, it goes back to like my mom taught, taught us and instilled in us, can't never did anything. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the business once you you got involved in it. Mm-hmm. You went back up to, to Washington State. Yep. Um, got involved with this partnership. Um, what what were what were you thinking when you went into that? Did you ever have <laughs> any any thought that you would eventually be full owning it and and then selling it off down the road? You know, I really didn't at that time. Like I said, I, I was a mess. You know, I I really didn't have any direction or focus. But you know, the thing is, is Steve believed in me. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing he did, uh, when I moved back up there in 19, I moved back in January of 1990 by May of 1990, I'd sobered up, mm-hmm. uh, to this day, I can say I'm what, 29 and a half years sober. Congratulations. Thank that you. is awesome. Thank you. That is yeah. really awesome. So I, I completely changed my life, cleaned up. Um, one thing Steve did is he handed me a book called the millionaire next door mm. and said, here, read this kid. So I did. I read that and I instilled those values in everything I did. Uh, When I first came back to work for him, we were 85% new construction company. Mm -hmm. And I just went to work for him and I just focused on what was in front of me. You know, I I didn't know how it was going to go or where it was going to go. But one thing I always knew I wanted from the time I was a little kid is I wanted to be a millionaire. Yeah. How I was going to get there, I have no idea. 
the millionaire the millionaire next door mm-hmm. what what's the premise of that book what were some of the big takeaways the big takeaways are you know you when people th- see people with money or what they assume to be money you know people living in the fancy houses people driving the nice cars people wearing the fancy clothes most of the time those people are not worth a lot of money mm-hmm. they have a, you know they they make a lot of money but they're not worth a lot mm-hmm. and what i really learned through the millionaire next door is save more than you earn and don't worry about how much you make worry about what your net worth is mm-hmm. and that's what i always did i always looked at what's my net worth i didn't it wasn't about you know i've kind of learned there's there's two kinds of people out there there's people who make more to spend more and there's people that save more than they earn mm-hmm. and i've always been the one that saved more than i've earned yeah and you drew those principles into the business as well, correct? I, I did, definitely. When I, when I first bought out Steve in 2002, you know, for the younger generation, they probably don't remember too much, but that was right after September 11th of 2001. Yeah. Okay, so the economy was, was not very good. And here I am, you know, at the time, 30-some years old, and I'm buying a multi-million dollar company in a recession, that I've never owned a business. I've always had a partner and a mentor. Yeah. And I'm going, what am I going to do? So I turned to my brother, who's been in the automobile industry and very successful in that. And I said, how do I do this? And he said, go to work on yourself. Become a better person, become a better leader. So at the time, he referred me to Brian Tracy. And I bought what was called Universal Laws of Success and Achievement. Mm. It was a CD... But yeah, CD series. Right? <laughs> if people Stop remember, saying that yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I turned my truck into a university on wheels, mm-hmm. and I started listening to that, and it completely changed my mindset of focusing on myself to build myself as a better person, but to help the people around me. Mm. So I really took the company from a company that was doing plumbing to a company that became more of a training organization and more of a sales and marketing company. Mm. And now this company to this day is a sales and marketing and training organization that does plumbing. Mm. So as I did that, as I progressed more in personal development, I instilled it in everybody that worked for me. And at, at the point before I sold out and to this day, they're training three to five days a week. Yeah. And everything from personal development, to customer service, to technical training, to sales training. So anything you can do to help the employees improve themselves and their experience with the customer. Well, what made you um, start to go down the path of more personal development for your team and your people? How did that decision come about? You know, I would say... The mentors I had in my life, my my brother is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve, who really believed in me, was one of them. And just people around me, uh, you know, I always was told, surround yourself with good people and good things will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went through the alcoholism, when I quit alcoholism, yeah, you want to find out who your true friends are. You know, I had a couple of friends that stood behind me. 100%. And I just saw, you know, the how that is so true. If you surround yourself with good people and you help other people get what they want, you'll get more in return. Yeah. 
So I just wanted to help people. I wanted yeah. to help, you know, because so many people helped me. Yeah. I wanted to help people get better. Yeah. So we did a lot of a lot of training, a lot of personal development, anything we can do to help them. I love that. You know, in your book, um, you talk about uh, 10 simple laws of success. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they are as follows. This is kind of how the order you break them down and work hard, set goals, seize opportunities, be adaptable and change. Watch your money, learn all that you can, believe in yourself, get out of your comfort zone, focus on your family and give back to the community and blow through the naysayers. <laughs> I want to focus on... Uh, <laughs> I want to focus on a few of those. Okay. I think uh, I'd love to hear some of your perspectives on that that you dive into in the book. Sure. Um, let's talk about like work hard, setting goals, and seizing opportunities. Um, talk a little bit about those as you kind of outlay them in, outlay them in the book mm-hmm. and how they lead to success. So work hard. You know, if I wouldn't have done that job, mm-hmm. you know, when I was, I think I was 18 years old, no, 16 years old when I did that job. If I wouldn't have done that job, if I wouldn't have crawled underneath that hospital for a week in sewer and spread the lime, where would my life be? Mm-hmm. You know, Steve wouldn't have believed in me. Yeah. And, you know, I learned growing up on a dairy farm and, and growing up in a, a farming community, the meaning of hard work. Yeah. You know, bucking hay bales at 15 years old that weighed more than I did. Mm. You know, you just learn that. And again, it goes back to my mom. Can't mm. never did anything. That's going to be our mantra. Yeah. <laughs> it never did anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Exactly. And then setting goals, seizing opportunities. Mm. How did you, how did those manifest themselves in your journey? You know, like I said, from the time I was a little kid, I always wanted to be a millionaire. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know how I was going to get there, but I wanted to be a millionaire, you know? So as, as I sobered up, as I came into who I became in my life, I learned through, you know, my brother telling me about personal development and listening to Brian Tracy about how to set goals and, and how to achieve those goals. And, you know, if you, if you write down a goal, you're more optimistic to achieve it than if you don't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after I ended up getting married, so <clears throat> when I moved back to Washington, I sobered up, you know, went to work for Steve. A couple of years later, I met my wife and we ended up getting married. And that's something that her and I did is we would sit down together and talk about what we wanted in the future. Yeah, You know, it's almost, you know, there's a book out there called The Dream Manager. And if nobody's read that, I suggest they read that one. And it's talking about what your goals and dreams are. Mm-hmm. And that's something my wife and I did. And and after we had our kids, so we get, had two daughters. We got married in 92. Our first daughter was born in 94. Our second one was born in 97. We would sit down as a family four to five nights a week and have dinner yeah. and talk about life. I love it. We would talk about what the kids were doing, you know, in school. We would talk about what we were doing in our businesses. She had her own business. I had my own. We'd talk about what we wanted to do as a family unit. Mm-hmm. We even talked about death. Yeah. We talked about money. We talked about everything. And, you know, when you do that and you sit down, you talk and you dream and, and you make goals and you set plans, you're all more apt to do it than if you don't. Yeah. What were some of those goals that you you set as a family, as a, as a married couple? There were multiple ones. Uh, number one, we wanted our kids to go to college. Mm-hmm. That was discussed from the time we, you know, we had kids. 
I never went to college. I barely graduated high school. I had to negotiate my way out of high school. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, literally. Um, But I've always believed in educating yourself and always learning. I I was a sponge when it came to the plumbing and HVAC business and wanted, you know, an an entrepreneur at heart. I just wanted to learn more and more and more. Um, But I've always felt there's been a fair disadvantage for women. And and from the time our kids were born, we wanted them to go to college and we wanted them to go to a private college. They went to a, a local high school, which, you know, not a private high school, but we were able to put the money away and they both went to private colleges. And when they graduated, they had zero debt. Yeah. Um, you know, we wanted to get the business paid off. Yeah. We did that. Uh, we built her dream home. We bought the building the company was in and I own that now. And since then I've bought multiple real estates. Um, you know, we did a lot family unit, you know, the kids loved camping. We went camping a lot. We ended up buying a vacation property. So all this stuff that we had set out to do, we did. Yeah. But it was something we talked about continually over and yeah. over and over about what we wanted to do. At that point, it becomes it becomes a real thing. Yeah. It's it's reality. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's not yeah. oh, this would be nice. Yeah. It's no, we're, we're going to do this. Let's yeah. figure out how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And, and through all that, my, my ultimate childhood dream came true. Yeah. But I never realized it. Yeah. I mean, I was worth well over a million dollars before... I sat down and went, wow, I'm a millionaire. <laughs> and it didn't matter. Yeah. Because it's about the journey. It's not about the destination. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. I often uh, have mm-hmm. conversations with some people about that. And mm-hmm. I always tell them, set your goal, but then put the goal on a shelf. Yeah. And then it's good to look at. It's nice, but don't make it your idol. Don't make it the thing that your day-to-day activities, like if you don't hit that goal today, then it's not, then right. you're not happy. You don't find happiness in that, but sit, find it, set yeah. it, but then focus on the journey, the actions to get there. Yeah. Cause that's where you should find that fulfillment and joy. Exactly. Yeah. So you talk about being adaptable and changing. Mm-hmm. What, what do you mean by that? You know, they say a, ze- a zebra never changes its stripes. I completely disagree with that. Mm-hmm. I'm a completely different person now than I was seven years ago. Yeah. I'm a completely different person seven years ago than what I was 10 years before that. And what I mean by that is so many people are afraid to look in the mirror. Yeah. So many people are afraid to say, I have faults. There's problems with me. I've been one my, not my whole life, but since I sobered up mm-hmm. <laughs> that I've realized it all comes down to me. Yeah. If I want anything better in life, I have to make myself better first. Yeah. So when there is an issue, when, when there's something going on in my life, you know, my daughters are very strong young ladies and we butted heads because I'm very strong headed too. <laughs> and when that happens, I have to look at myself and say, wait a minute, what can I do to make our relationship better? Yeah. So being adaptable and change is, you know, I've been through a lot of counseling in my life. The stuff I've been through, I've been through counseling. I've done a lot of personal development. I do a lot of motivational stuff. Anything I can do to help me become a better person is going to help everything else. When did that, that sh- switch happen for you? Did, did you do make a change at some point and then see fruit from that there's and... there's been actually some big key moments in my life can you talk about a few sure um 
Number one was when I moved back to Washington, I became sober. Yeah. Very, very, very big changing point in my life. Um, number two was when I bought Steve out. Mm-hmm. Another big changing point in my life. You know, as, as, as I went through these things, it's like, how am I going to get through them? Mm-hmm. You know, I can't blame anybody else. So you got to blame yourself. Yeah. You know, I can't grow this company without looking at myself first. Um, so those were the first two. And then 2008 recession. Mm-hmm. So by 2008, my company was doing about $6 million. Mm-hmm. We were 85% new construction. I had the two partners that ended up buying me out. And we were talking and we were just kind of looking at what was going on. Because at the time we were 85% new construction, 65% of it was residential, mm-hmm. custom homes and track homes. And we had over a million dollars in accounts receivable. And we're talking to each other and we're going, you know, this just isn't going to last. There's something wrong here. You know, we're up in the Pacific Northwest, almost the Canadian border. And we're like, you know, up in the middle of nowhere. No, we're not in Alaska like everybody says we are. <laughs> <laughs> so, But we're up in the middle of the the country, you know, the corner of the country. And we're just like, you know, something's not right. Well, one of my partner's wives was a banker Mm. and she would come home and tell him about the loans she was writing. Yeah. And we're just like, you know, something's going to happen. And then I ended up joining a best practice group. And through the chat forum, I'm seeing that construction, you know, like in Florida or Arizona, things are, some, things are starting to happen. Yeah. So we had a meeting. We said, you know what? We need to rebrand ourselves and we need to change our focus. So we did. We completely, at the time, the name of the company was Commercial Plumbing Incorporated. Yeah. And it's not because we just did commercial work. Our company started on Commercial Avenue in mm-hmm. Anacortes, which is a little tiny town. But we rebranded to CPI Plumbing Heating completely rebranded the whole company and said, we're going to focus on service and repair and light commercial and get completely out of residential custom and track homes. So we did. So as we started that, that was 2008 when we made that decision. By 2009, we dropped, we were a union shop. We dropped out of the union Mm -hmm. and completely started everything. 2009, we went from $6 million to $3 million mm. because the recession had hit. Yeah. And we had completely rebranded and changed our focus. August 2010, I get a letter from the union that I own $544,000. Mm. So we go from $3 million or $6 million to $3 million. Now I have to pay the union a half a million dollars. Yeah. You want to talk about different you know, emotions and everything. Yeah. But what do I do? I did what I'd done before and I looked at myself and said, what can I do to become a better person, a better leader to get through this? So I jumped back into more personal development. And at that point there, I made another change in my life. Yeah. You became a different person. Yeah. So we get through that and we had three years to pay them. We actually ended up paying them off in June of 2012. Mm. So a little less than two years. So everything's great. Everything's going good at home. Kids are growing. They're, you know, starting their their or sophomore and senior year of high school. Then in September of that year, excuse me, my wife dies unexpectedly. 
So here I am, 15-year-old, 17-year-old daughter, just get through all the union stuff. Life looks like it's going to be wonderful. My wife just dies. So what do you do? Again, I bury myself back into personal development and counseling. And like I said a little bit earlier, I'm a completely different person now than seven years ago. And that's when she died. Because I bury myself, I look in the mirror. What can I do to make myself better? How can I get through this? Yeah. You know, going through these things, it's there's so many people that I think can identify with things that you've gone through. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's difficult to voice them. And so I, I'm just so grateful for you and your courage. Oh, thank you. To be able to share these kinds of stories yeah. for everybody listening because oftentimes we when we go through trials like that, it's so easy to just go completely internal it is. and then be yeah. in a shell. And then you're lifeless for your yeah. company, for the people that are around you. But being able to change and adapt like you've done, it is a testament and a testimony to other people. And it's such an encouragement. So I thank you for sharing oh, that. You're welcome. Well, and the thing is people don't realize is the more you do that, the more you look at yourself, uh-huh. the more you share, the more you open up, the more you talk about it, it's a healing process. Yeah. So you are able to let it out. Yeah. You know, the more you hold in, the more anger, the more resentment, the more anxiety, the more stress you're going to have on yourself. Mm-hmm. And that carries over into all aspects of your life. Yeah. It carries over into, you know, if you are a leader, if you're a manager, owner, whatever, it carries over and your employees see that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit um, about believing in yourself. Um, I know you've gone through some areas where it's like, let's, you're, we're, we've adapted, we've changed, and now you got to move forward. Yeah. And that takes a lot of belief. You, you have it to does. believe that you can do something. Talk a little bit about that and the importance of that. It does. And I'll go back to surrounding yourself with good people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, there's been a lot of times in my life I didn't believe in myself, but I had people around me who did. Yeah. And again, looking at yourself, what can you do to become a better person yourself? And I think if you truly do that, it helps you believe in yourself more. Yeah. Um, you know, as you set goals, as you dream about things and, and make it a reality and accomplish things, as you accomplish things, you know, and, and up until my wife passed away, I was a driving force. I had my head down and I just, I, I was going, you know, we were going to accomplish our goals. We were going to do it. And after she passed away, it made me look back at things and realize, wow, we've accomplished a lot in our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, we're very well known and respected in the community as far as a family, as far as business owners. Um, our kids are absolutely wonderful kids. And looking back on that and saying, okay, yes, I've done some good things in my life. Mm. I can be grateful for what I've accomplished yeah. in my life. And up until that point, you know, my wife and I had a conversation about six months before she passed away. And we were sitting on the couch one day and we were talking and and I said, you know, we've we've made these goals, plans, dreams, everything. And I go, a couple of years, Amy, our youngest is going to be graduating, going off to college and we're going to be paying off our commercial building. What's our next phase of life going to be? Mm-hmm. What, you know, we need to kind of think about what we want to do. And she looked at me and she goes, can't you ever be satisfied? 
<laughs> and I thought about it for a moment and I go, no, yeah. I can't. I go, that's what drives me. Yeah. I go, but I can be grateful. Yeah. I go, I'll never be satisfied, but I can be grateful. Mm-hmm. Well, what I learned through her death is I wasn't grateful. I was driven so much that I wouldn't look back and say, wow, look at what we've accomplished. Absolutely. And after her death, it made me step back and go, wow, we did accomplish a lot. Yeah. Because her comments to me after I said, no, I can't be, I said to her, why are you? And her comments to me were, yes, I have everything I've ever wanted in my life. Mm-hmm. She goes, we got a great, we both have great businesses. We got great friends. We got a great family. We got my dream house. And it made me, it made her death for me to sit back and realize that. Yeah. Yeah. That be grateful for what you got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wh- which of these principles or these laws would you say most business owners have the biggest challenge with in your experience? I would say one we didn't even talk about. Yeah. And I would say uh, step out of your comfort zone. Mm. Yeah. Why do you think people stay in their comfort zone? It's easy. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's scary stepping out of your comfort zone. Yeah. It's scary. Um, you know, uh, I, the transitions I've made in the last seven years, they're scary. I've gone through a lot of transitions since my wife's death. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, selling the business. I owned it for, uh, was partners or owner for 29 years. Yeah. For 29 years, it was, I knew where I was going. I knew what I was doing. It, it was comfortable. When I sold that and stepped out and joined Blue Collar and started doing some coaching, that was scary. Yeah. You know, I didn't know what the future was going to look like. Mm-hmm. And now taking the next step of, of stepping away from Blue Collar and going out on my own, pursuing my speaking career and financial coaching career yeah. myself, that's scary. Yeah. But you're never going to improve unless you step out of that comfort zone. Yeah. You know, I, for 48 years, I told myself, anybody that jumped out of an airplane had to be crazy. <laughs> so on my 48th birthday, I decided, you know what? When I turn 50, I'm going to go skydiving. Jump out of an airplane. Jump out of an airplane. <laughs> yeah. So I was telling my daughters, my oldest goes, well, can I do it with you? Yeah. And I'm like, Sure. And then I thought about it for a minute. And I go, not unless your sister does it too. <laughs> so my youngest turned 18 two weeks before I turned 50. Yeah. We all three went skydiving. That's awesome. And as we're getting onto the plane, I had it all filmed and a guy's filming me and he goes, hey, Kelly, he goes, your 50th birthday. I go, yeah. He goes, you're going skydiving. I go, yeah. He goes, why are you doing that? And I go, because I said I'd never do it. Yeah. But it was it was a fear. Mm-hmm. It was stepping out of my comfort zone. Yep. Two years later, I went bungee jumping. <laughs> and as I'm standing on the edge of the platform to jump, I said, this is stupid. Why would anybody yeah. do it? <laughs> and then I jumped. Yeah. But it's, it's doing those things like that that just make you step out of your comfort zone that pushes you a little bit Absolutely. further. Building a habit out of tackling your fears yeah. just by doing it. Yeah. Rather than building a habit of being consumed by your fears to where you're immobile, right? And so many people get in that comfort zone and just stay comfortable and they don't grow. Yeah. And that's when they don't change their stripes. Yeah. Wow. 
This is heavy stuff. And you know what? I, I think we're going to have to move this into, into a second episode. So if you're okay. game, Kelly, um, I really want to dive into more of, uh, you, you, you're obviously a financial coach too, diving into some of, some of these fears that people have. Sure. And not stepping out of their comfort zone when it comes mm-hmm. to things like how they're dealing with the finances of their business and protecting their assets and yeah. things like that. So stick around. We're going to have round two. And for all you listening, mm-hmm. definitely uh, be be on the lookout for episode two with Kelly Scholes. Um, if our listeners want to hear more, where's the best place to go? Find out more about you. Well, I'm in the process right now of getting my website built, but mm-hmm. it'll be kellyscholes.com. Great. Um, if people want to, they can email me at kellyscholes at gmail.com. Great. And that's K-E-L-L-Y-S-C-H-O-L-S. Yes. Correct? Yes. Okay. Just yep. to make sure everybody's got that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for round one, Kelly. I'm really looking forward to round two. All right. Thank you. And for everybody listening, definitely hit that subscribe button wherever you might be at so you can get more of this awesome content. And stay tuned next week for round two, episode two, talking about financial success and protecting your assets with Kelly Scholes. From all of us here at The Sharpest Tool, we'll catch you next time. Thanks. (laughs) 